the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Monday, November 22nd, 2021. On Friday, as we pointed out here, Katie Hobbs, our Secretary of State and Democratic Party candidate for governor, weighed in on the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict by tweeting the following, quote, The jury's verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse's malicious murder reminds us once again that there are two systems of justice. This only leaves an invitation for violence for white supremacists, close quote. I asked how long we should toll that clock to validate Ms. Hobbs' prediction before we saw white vigilante justice that could be related to Kyle Rittenhouse's exoneration. A week? A month? I asked if anyone, by the way, expected to see more white supremacist violence as a result of the Rittenhouse verdict. I asked if the National Guard were stationed in Kenosha because of fears of violence. Should Rittenhouse be found guilty? Well, violence has struck Wisconsin and Waukesha, about an hour's drive from where Kyle Rittenhouse was tried. The latest from the New York Times update was this, quote, The driver of a red SUV barreled through a Christmas parade the day before, killing at least five people and injuring more than 40 others. It was supposed to have been a celebratory night in Waukesha. Dance groups and high school bands and politicians were marching along Main Street in the Milwaukee suburbs Christmas parade, which was returning from a pandemic hiatus, close quote. What's interesting is later in the article from the New York Times, we are told the driver was a man. We're still told that. Just a man. Still up at the New York Times. This was hours after other outlets like Powerline, like Fox News, had published the name and picture of said man, Daryl Brooks. In case you were curious or had any relevance whatever to the story, he is a black man. Might it be relevant? Well, when race was poured all over the commentary of Kyle Rittenhouse's trial and purported motives, even after his exoneration, yes, I think it's fair to say the race of alleged assailants, violent assailants in Wisconsin within days of the Rittenhouse verdict, as commentators were still calling Rittenhouse a white supremacist, and when others were predicting white supremacist violence, yes, the race of the homicidal truck driver would, I think, be relevant. You wouldn't know any of this from reading the New York Times or, for that matter, CNN. Except you sort of would. You sort of knew if the driver were not identified as white, he was non-white. Because the left, the media, nearly all commentary, and our Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, along with the likes of Reese Witherspoon, all of MSNBC, and Maria Shriver, predicated white violence, predicted, excuse me, white violence as a result. And by predict, I mean hope for. And by hope for, I mean to justify their narrative. And by justify their narrative, I mean perpetuate false statements and irrational racial undertones and overtones where they simply did not exist. I can appreciate how the Shriver-Kennedy family doesn't quite appreciate fair justice. But here is what Maria Shriver tweeted this morning. Quote, I'm trying to take a beat to digest the Rittenhouse verdict. My son just asked me how it's possible 
that he didn't get charged for anything. How is that possible? I don't have an answer for him. The idea that someone could be out with a semi-automatic weapon, kill people, and walk is stunning. I look forward to hearing from the jury. This is a moment for them to explain how they came to their decision, close quote. The idea would be stunning if that were the fact pattern, but it's not. It would be just as stunning if, say, the idea that someone could drunkenly drive a woman into a body of water and let her drown to death while waiting for daylight to call friends and law enforcement would not be found guilty of anything. Except the second fact pattern is true, and it was Maria's uncle, his mom's brother, Senator Ted Kennedy, who did that. The idea that Maria Shriver doesn't know Mr. Rittenhouse was charged several times means she doesn't know the first thing most people do, in fact, know about criminal trials. There would have been no trial finding Kyle Rittenhouse guilty or not guilty were there no charges. There is another senator trying to help Ms. Shriver with both civics and parenting, Ted Cruz. He offered a little help by tweeting to her, one Rittenhouse was charged with six counts. That thing that just finished was his trial, too, in order to make something sound better or worse than it is, as if it's an exceptional fact. But the thing Ms. Shriver, a news anchor, purported not to know about the Rittenhouse story is part of a much larger problem. She should have known better than to fuel racialism and distrust of the legal system, but a lot of Americans should know better. What too many Americans think and think they know is resultant of the media telling them what they think they should think. A partial list that could be expanded to embrace the next two and a half hours is provided by Gerard Baker of the Wall Street Journal. Kyle Rittenhouse is a domestic terrorist. Brett Kavanaugh is a rapist. Donald Trump won in 2016 because he colluded with the Kremlin. Nick Sandman, the boy from Covington Catholic High School, was an entitled white bigot. Mr. Trump said the neo-Nazis at Charlottesville were good people. Last year's riots were mostly people. Unarmed black men are routinely shot in huge numbers by police. The discovery of Hunter Biden's laptop was a Russian plot. Most people, it seems, believe all of that, none of which is true. All of it peddled is true. In the New York Times, CNN, Arizona Republic, Washington Post, Twitter, Hollywood, MSNBC, axis of newspeak and misinformation. Heck, as we learn more about the driver assailant in Wisconsin, we may even find he thought some of these things. And perhaps they served as the inarguments to his vigilante justice. By the way, if he is let go or found not guilty, will there be commentary that we should expect more black vigilanteism? That'd be a good question for Katie Hobbs about right now. And a follow-up question for Ms. Hobbs. Just how long do we wait for that white supremacist vigilantism to prove her prediction correct? In other words, could it be that certain myths perpetrated by the axis of the left promulgated and disseminated as factual information has led some people to the illegal actions and violence that they undertake? Is the line so infractious as to believe that a man of violence fueled by racial resentment hearing myths about his race in his country could be stirred to violence? I, for one, do not blame those who think they are fighting Nazis when they engage in violence. That is the morally right response. The problem is when Nazis are created out of non-Nazis to stir racial wars, just as the problem for any society is the guilt of the innocent, which is why the watchword of most civil societies begins with the concept of justice and fair trials. It's not because the guilty have been getting off scot-free 
for millennia, it's that the innocent have been too often, usually for political purposes, incarcerated. This was rampant in communist and Nazi regimes, and it was rampant in colonial and post-colonial America and everywhere else. That's why courts of justice were important. That's why Plato's entire book, The Republic, is about justice. This is why we take justice so seriously in America, or used to. The driver in Wisconsin, by the way, has a social media account. He praised both Black Lives Matter and Malcolm X. Didn't see anything praising Martin Luther King there on his account. By the way, that praise of Malcolm X should sting just a little extra today. Malcolm X said when John Kennedy was killed on this day 58 years ago that it was, quote, chickens coming home to roost, which always, his words, quote, made him glad, close quote. The New York Times, covering that story in 1963, said Malcolm X's audience of 700 in Manhattan laughed and cheered when he said that. That's who you honor when you honor Malcolm X, the man who was glad JFK was killed. I hope nobody is equally glad about the dead in Wisconsin. Oh, just for the satisfaction of the equation, Martin Luther King said this when John Kennedy was quilled, killed, quote, I am shocked and grief-stricken at the tragic assassination of President Kennedy. He was a great and dedicated president. His death is a great loss to America and the world, close quote. Funny thing how in America we seem to honor Malcolm X more these days than we do Martin Luther King. What makes this so damned frustrating is, unless this is corrected, these invented racial wars and concomitant discounted and denied racial antagonisms and violence will continue to have innocents hurt and killed. And we will continue to evidence and exacerbate crime and violence when all most people want is calm and safety. No justice, no peace, cried out one paid political Democratic Party operative in D.C. after the Rittenhouse verdict. There was, though, a little justice in the Rittenhouse verdict, as there was against Tom Robinson and To Kill a Mockingbird. It's just that there's an investment in a race war in this country, with sides taken. And Mr. Rittenhouse was of the wrong race, just as the driver of the truck that killed five people and injured 40 in Waukesha is of the right race. So right it needed to be concealed by the New York Times and CNN, lest anyone get the wrong idea about life, violence, crime, politics, and everything else that informs our society these days. But this is what we labor under, a new world order where race is more important than fact and guilt and innocence are dependent on the race of the defendant or the accused. In the 1960s, they made books and movies about these inversions of justice and right thinking. Today, they constitute the narrative of our lives. Ted Kennedy can get off scot-free for killing a woman. Ted Kennedy can go on to deprive Robert Bork a seat on the Supreme Court under questioning about Mr. Bork's theories of justice. So, too, can Kamala Harris go on to try to deprive Mr. Kavanaugh from a seat on the Supreme Court based on lies about him and his treatment of people as she solicits funding for thousands of people arrested for engaging in civil riots, asking people to donate to an organization that states the entire justice system in America is a racist institution. All of this is just fine. Can a man, any man, get a fair trial in this society? The answer to that question, to the extent of that answer, defines how just a society we are, how committed to truth, how committed to reason we are. 
Too many invoke the image of Lady Justice these days, commenting on her blindfold. The odd thing about this is Lady Justice, from the beginning in Roman mythology, didn't always have that blindfold, and still sometimes is depicted without it, though she always had a sword. What happens to a society where the sword is unleashed indiscriminately and the blindfold is forgotten? More important, what happens when the sword is unleashed discriminatingly with the blindfold taken off? That we would call a racist society and justice system. If and only if fairness and equality and justice only matter for one side based on race and ethnicity. And you know what that is called or used to be called? Injustice. So today, thank you to the media and the Democratic Party. It is actually true. There was no justice and no peace, but it's because of the media and the Democratic Party. Thus, we come to the most fraudulently used phrase in our time, the notion of social justice. It is neither. For you see, it is actually true. Demagoguery and false narratives and lies, they do kill. And that's the worry of the scientist from Chernobyl. You tell enough lies we still simply will not recognize the truth anymore. Aristotle, who taught most societies of the West how to organize themselves, taught that a man who separates himself from civil society is either a beast or a god. He says this because, as he puts it in Book One of The Politics, man, when perfected, is the best of animals, but when separated from law and justice is the worst. We're pretty far separated from law and justice just now, which takes us to a far worse place than we thought we were in, or moving to. Put the blame where it is. It ain't me. No, it ain't me. No, I ain't no senator's niece. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Now, our policy is not to start playing Christmas music till after Thanksgiving. That's just a tease because we have a couple tickets to give away to a December 5th concert of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra here in Phoenix. If you are the next caller, we'll give you two tickets gratis to that concert December 5th. Two general admission tickets to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra here in Phoenix, 602-508-0960 to get those ticks. I am... Um, I have so many things here in my stack, and they don't all relate necessarily, things we should go through. One I wanted to bring to your attention was the ongoing threats against J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. I don't, know, um, I don't know if many of you are familiar with this, but she is a modern-day liberal who thought she was fairly woke – or fairly progressive, um, is not buying into the forced series of confessions modern society requires of those when it comes to accepting everything the transgender lobby wants to accept. So uh, when she declared that men cannot change into women... She also said, dress however you please, call yourselves whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real? Question mark. And then she 
had a hashtag standing with someone who was canceled for saying the same thing. So what has been going on with J.K. Rowling? Well, as she tweets last Friday, my family's address was posted on Twitter Twitter by three activist actors who took pictures of themselves in front of our house, carefully positioning themselves to ensure the address was visible. I implore the people who retweeted the image with the address still visible, even if they did so in condemnation of the people's actions, to delete them. Over the last few years, I've watched appalled as women like, and she mentions a series of British women, and many others, including women who have no public profile, have been harassed and been subject to campaigns of intimidation, which range from being hounded on social media, targeting their employers, doxing, and direct threats of violence, including threats of rape. She writes, none of these women are protected the way I am. They and their families have been put into a state of fear and distress for no other reason than that they refuse to uncritically accept that the socio-political concept of gender identity should replace that of sex. I have now received so many death threats, she says, I could paper the house with them and I haven't stopped speaking it out. Perhaps, and I'm just throwing this out there, the best way to prove your movement isn't a threat to women is to stop stalking, harassing, and threatening us. It's a good point. If everything, or rather I should say, if anything J.K. Rowling says on your pet issue of transgenderism is false, wrong, incorrect, and so much so that it will then thus have no effect, why are you treating her like a great threat? Why are any of us treated like a threat? Why are any of us treated like a threat for speaking nothing more than our truth which we're supposed to be empowered to speak, except the one thing about our truth. The one thing about it is our truth seems to be in concert and comply with what most people until yesterday called the truth. Why is it we who are targeted all the time, especially if we're so wrong? It's not as if you're letting reason reign freely to combat us so that you're using violence and censorship. Who are the real small D Democrats? Who are the real small L liberals? Who are the real people not afraid of the open society? And who are the people living in fear and surprise and trying to get us all to comply with that Spanish Inquisition redux they want to bring back? I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour gives us our culture and economy update by bringing us the great John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. He has a radio show, The Word on Wealth, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., best time of the day. John Dombrowski, welcome back. How are you, sir? Fantastic. It is the best time of the day, early in the morning, right? Especially I, on for me, it is. Yeah. You know, some people are night owls, but I am. Uh, I rise pretty early in the morning. <laughs> I think. I think the night owls miss the good stuff. I, I kind of feel the, that way. The quiet uh, of the morning. 
Instead uh, of the quiet of the night, though? Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, does anything good happen after midnight? I don't think I so. I don't know. I'm sleeping. <laughs> uh, yeah. You wouldn't know. Not for me, it doesn't. You wouldn't know. Eric Clapton has something to say about uh, that. I guess we're going to get uh, Jerome Powell as yeah. the next uh, Fed chair, reelected in a sense. That is what uh, renominated from, uh, yes, vice, uh, for, from, I almost said Vice President Biden, uh, from President Biden. And, uh, of course, going to have to go through the process of... Uh, the, you know, to get nominated, to get elected. Yeah, yeah, say. yeah. No, well, the confirmation uh, in yeah, any confirmation, event, but, right, but right. it'll probably go fairly Which smoothly. Which I think yeah. he will it'll probably yeah. get from both it's sides. It's just a different economy he's facing than his first term, huh? It is, but I think one of the reasons, and I think people may agree with this, uh, is that at least we have someone who is familiar with what happened. He has obviously uh, went through a, a major uh, issue when we dealt with COVID mm-hmm. back in early uh, 2020 and all the way through the year. Uh, and has has guided, I, I believe, us fairly well. Uh, but, of course, there is a uh, vice chair, which mm-hmm. was also uh, nominated as well, and that's uh, Lael uh, Brainerd. That so was the one we thought might might also be the next chair. Possibly right? could yep. be mm-hmm. the chair, right. Yep. So uh, for, at least from what President Biden said, the reason he did this was is that he felt that uh, Jerome Powell had done a good job getting us uh, to where we are today and felt he needed someone with the experience. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. Speaking of the landscape, the economic landscape mm-hmm. um, differing, um, what, what's going on with home sales? Yeah, we had the uh, October home sales uh, rising. So, again, we're still seeing some really strong real estate numbers here, and realtors are predicting, um, I think they said, full-year sales of over 6 million homes, yeah. which would be the highest number in sales since 2006. And what is interesting, and we did talk briefly about this um, before is the value of the homes and the percentages uh-huh. of homes sold in each sector. Uh, they had said that the supply obviously is weak, pretty much all the way around. But by price category, homes priced under two hundred fifty thousand um, sales fell about twenty four percent, which was interesting because as we got into the higher numbers, sales of homes between seven hundred fifty thousand and a million rose twenty five percent. And sales of million-dollar-plus homes rose 31%. So, boy, there's a lot of people buying million-dollar homes. And the other statistic, which was pretty interesting, was is a lot of these homes are being bought with cash, Seth. Mm-hmm. And as we know, investors have been really infiltrating uh, the real estate market in a big way. And uh, they, of course, are cash buyers many times, and it's really hurting the first-time home buyers. I was going to say, when people yeah. ask who's buying these expensive houses because people are talking about, you know, the prices going so high yep. that's part of the market, there's your answer. Yes. Investment firms. Yeah, and, and yeah, and it's a shame because first-time home buyers represent represented only 29% it says, of sales right. compared with 32% a year ago, and historically it's around 40%. Yeah. So the first-time home buyers are being pushed out of the market because of the prices uh, of of the increases in, in the values of real estate, and so they're going and renting, and now that is why the investors are coming in. So it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way. Yeah, I yeah, I, I it is, and and what's interesting about the edge of what one of the edges of those swords is 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 when the end in sight yes. uh, comes because we were having this conversation John mm-hmm. a year ago yeah saying i don't know how long it can last probably not long everyone said that I, everyone was saying that a year ago yeah and i think again interest rates are still low seth yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously uh, there's people out there buying property so it's going to continue f- for for the foreseeable future 
Uh, will, will we be talking about it again in a year and saying the same thing? I don't know. Uh, but for right now, the economy uh, seems to be, uh, you know, supporting these home values. And until the buyers start to walk away and we have an oversupply, which we do not, we've got an undersupply of uh, inventory right now in real estate, it's going to continue to rise. So I'd just take that the way it is. Thank you, John. As you go home to Emily or Tracy, yes. what would you like to say? I would like to say uh, I love you, Tracy. There you go. <laughs> Securities and advisory services offered to ClientWind Securities LLC, a member of FinRen Sipican, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and ClientWind Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Bye, John. Talk Bye-bye. to you tomorrow. wanted to say something about the um, the charitable moment we're in. A lot of people are being asked to give to their favorite nonprofits. A lot of people are asked to um, donate in public, whether it's the Red Kettles or anything else. I've seen a lot of stores get in on the action. Have you seen this too? And, and it's all to the good. Uh, it really is. Those that can help, please help. It's worth keeping in mind a lot of these nonprofits do their annual fundraising in a gala, in a one big annual event. And for two years, they've had to suspend those while their operations were all the more necessary because of the COVID mitigation efforts, the response to COVID. But I do have uh, just a small, in case anyone in earshot has this connection, just a, just a small parenthetical to this for some of the stores. I was at a major store today, major grocery store today, and it's, it's perfectly fine when you go to the keypad and they say, would you like to donate money to the hungry charity, whatever it is, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, and I... I I happen to usually just select the dollar and do it. I shop a lot. But I noticed something interestingly different today for the first time on the way uh, out of a major grocery store chain. It gave you the options to donate starting at $5. So it was like 5, 10, 20, other. 5, 10, 20, other. Something like that. I noticed 5 was the minimum donation. Now, you could go to other, as I did and select something more appropriate for you if $5 seems a bit much every time you go to the grocery store because prices have gone up for everyone and costs have gone up for everyone. I just think something about a $5 minimum donation is dissuading. I think people are likely to say no rather than go through two more steps in a rushed and busy schedule to hit other and then select a lower amount or a different amount. So my only point is this. We we don't begrudge this at all, at all. We, in fact, want you to succeed and get more money to the nonprofit and charity deserving. Lower, lower the minimum donation. If you're in earshot and have a say with any of these chains that start at $5 donations, lower it. Lower it. I think you'll find more compliance. And then once you do that, and find more donations. You'll also understand the marginal tax rate debate. 
which was given to us by John Kennedy in theory at a speech at the New York Economic Club before he died, obviously, and then proven under Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush's and Donald Trump's presidency, that the lower the marginal tax rate, the greater compliance with the tax code and the higher the receipts to the federal government. It's an interesting paradoxical truth. That's what John Kennedy called it, a paradoxical truth. John Kennedy, a lot on my mind today for a lot of reasons, obviously. It's an odd thing in this country, the things we seem to be certain about that transpire before our very eyes. People immediately retreat into certain positions, whether it was Kyle Rittenhouse or any other any other major story that was captured by about a minute's worth of video in a scene that probably was relevant to the lives involved for something like 20 or 30 minutes. And we make snap and hardened, burned in amor decisions based on one minute's worth of video or less or less, often less. It's interesting we do that. And yet, am I right? We still don't fully understand November 22nd, 1963. If you watch the Oliver Stone movie or if you hear about it through most mainstream narratives these days, or if you listen to Malcolm X's lecture in Manhattan where he spoke of the chickens coming home to roost, you think it was the climate of hate in Dallas, the climate of right-wing hate in Dallas that led to the assassination of John Kennedy. And, of course, that's what commentators on that day, even in the great non-biased press of the days of yore, it was the climate of hate and fear and right-wing activism in Dallas, of which there is zero proof. The Warren Commission, and again, we all know it may have its problems, have had its problems, but it was the official account the official bipartisan, nonpartisan account claimed several times that Lee Harvey Oswald was a communist and that a communist killed John Kennedy. Now, here's a question for you. How many people think that that's true? How many people know that? There has been a whitewashing of communism. There has been a whitewashing of what took place in Dallas, there's been a whitewash against the entire history of noxious and deadly communism. Why is it okay for people to joke and take casually people who invoke communism, but it isn't when they invoke Nazism? Why is that okay? There was a club at ASU, we've mentioned it a few times, dedicated to making the country communist. has a lot of followers. One of the students involved in the racial assault at the Multicultural Center at ASU was part of it. Do you think that would be tolerated and Twitter would allow them to maintain their page if they were Nazis? 
if they claimed the same that they do about communism, that they do about Nazism or fascism? And why is that? Why is that? Why do we tolerate this? Why do we joke about calling each other comrade? Why is there a whitewashing? Why is it? There was a hearing last week. There was a hearing last week for the Comptroller of the Currency, a woman named Miss Saleh, who went to the University of Vladimir Lenin. And Senator Kennedy from Louisiana asked her if she was a communist, if she was still a communist, because she, as recently as 2019, was praising things about the former Soviet Union that were not true in America. 2019. And a very interesting thing happened when Senator Ketty started that interrogation of her. He was interrupted by the committee's chairman, Sherrod Brown, Democrat, saying he was impugning her character. And Senator Kennedy said, why do you always interrupt me? And Sherrod Brown said, I don't always interrupt you. Mr. Kennedy, Senator Kennedy said, you did. And then what happened a few minutes later was really interesting. Stay tuned. I'll tell you about it. We'll be right back. I was just talking a little bit about why it is we seem to not feel about communism or Marxist-Leninism the way we feel about Nazism and fascism and why communism gets a pass. Why is it all about the hatred and right-wing nature of Dallas in 1963 that killed Kennedy and not what the Warren Commission said, a communist? who killed Kennedy, and why is it okay to play footsie with communism? Why is there an active communist organization that says it wants to install communism in this country at ASU, but if there was one of fascism or Nazism, it would be booted off campus and Twitter would take their page down? Why Why do we live with this and accept this? I'll give you another example. As I was saying at the hearings for the Comptroller of the Treasury last week, Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, John Kennedy was, excuse me, um, yeah, John Kennedy of Louisiana was talking about the Marxist history of the of the nominee. And Sherrod Brown interrupted, saying he was engaging in character assassination. And Senator Kennedy said, you always interrupt me. And then more questioning went on, and then this transpired. I'm here today, Senator. I'm here today because I'm ready for public service. Thank you, Professor. I uh, I check with my staff. This is Sherrod Brown. I've never interrupted you or uh, they believe anybody. Well, that's not their questions, Mr. Chairman. Understand? You see what Sherrod Brown did? He interrupted a second time because he had his staff go research over the last few minutes what John Kennedy said. Was this nominee a communist? No, that's not what he cared about. That's not what he had his staff research. He researched whether he interrupts Mr. Kennedy. That was what was important to him. You think the Democrats not caring about communism is new? It is not. Irving Kristol in 1952 said this, wrote this. There is one thing that the American people know about Senator Joe McCarthy. 
he, like them, is unequivocally anti-communist. About the spokesman for American liberalism, they know no such thing and with some justification. If you're a Democrat sitting on a committee that is about to approve or disapprove of a nominee to the federal treasury and the allegation is she is a communist and you send your staff rushing fast to research how many times you've interrupted the Republican asking her about this and not whether there is any truth to the claim that she still has communist sympathies. Yeah, we can join Irving Kristol in 1952 and what he said about the Democrats then as well. We know the Republican Party is anti-communist about the Democratic Party. We know no such thing. Shame on them. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.